everybody, my name is Remy. Welcome to the For the Love podcast with your host, Jen Hatmaker, my mom. She writes books and speaks to crowds, but she mostly loves talking to amazing people on this podcast every week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoy the show. Hey guys, it is Jen Hatmaker here. Your hostess for the For the Love podcast. So glad that you're here. Welcome to the show. I'm grinning. I don't know if you can tell that I'm grinning while I'm talking because I am excited for you because you're about to just hear the most delightful conversation. It's just, (laughs) it's charming and endearing and it wanders and meanders and you're going to be just really, really happy that you put your this podcast on while ever you're doing what you're doing and you're not going to want to miss any of it. Please stay until the end. We're in this series called for the love of music, which I'm happy to say is when you guys asked for one of your best ideas, we're having the best time um, talking with icons for so many of us who really kind of sung us through our childhood and adolescence and young adulthood. And it's just, I mean, I'm over it. I'm over the moon. Um, on this series. And so I know that it's cliche for me to say that my guest today doesn't need an introduction, but it's really true because Amy Grant, (laughs) uh, (laughs) just love her. So whatever, just let me laugh about it, has become a household name for decades, right? And not just in Christian circles, which is where she got started. And we're going to talk about that. Um, but her, all of her mainstream crossover success too. And, um, golly, you know, we, we started listening to Amy back when she was this sort of, you know, young thing singing my father's eyes, which we all sang into our hairbrushes. Um, and then just all the way through her CCM career and her pop career crossover, which was so exciting to watch and um, see one of us, one of our people go over to VH1 for crying out loud. In fact, her song, Next Time I Fall, course you remember that song, number one on the billboard charts that she sang with Peter Cetera, who was one of our like muses at the time. And so she's just been such a marvel to watch. And, and we'll talk about this too, but she weathered a lot of public criticism, a lot of, uh, rejection from her community, um, via, well, several reasons. Some of it was from her crossover move. Some of it was with her really public divorce, which she's going to talk about too. Um, and then her subsequent, um, remarriage to Vince Gill. You may have heard of him. It's going to inspire you to hear her talk about that season and what she learned. And she's just a really deeply genuine and sincere person. This whole conversation is just rich, 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 rich. We laughed and we laughed and we laughed. Um, I do want to say, just because I start with it, so I just, my confession, I met Amy finally for the first time last summer at a a Christian festival called Wild Goose. And um, I knew she was there, of course. In fact, that is how they got me to come. Can you speak? I'm like, it's summer. This is usually my time off. Amy Grant's going to be there. Um, when can I, when do I fly in? That's kind of how that worked. And so I was in kind of a house with a bunch of my friends um, who were also there. And we kind of got word. Some Somebody sent a word through somebody else um, that Amy was like, you know, I'd, I'd love to meet Jen. At which point I perished. I literally died on the spot and then Jesus resurrected me. And so Amy and her manager, Jennifer, who's so fabulous, came to our house that we were renting and we cooked dinner. And you guys, I'm not joking to tell you right now, we on the menu, it was already in flux. We didn't have time to be impressive. We fed her hot dogs and tater tots. 
I joke you not, I fed Amy Grant hot dogs and tater tots. And so I met her last summer and I was just so starstruck. Whatever, let me live. Um, She is as lovely a person as you would possibly imagine her to be. And so you are going to enjoy this conversation. I know I sure did. So please um, welcome my amazing guest today, Amy Grant. Okay, let me ask you this. Okay. How does that sound? It sounds good to me. Okay. I This is speakerphone. Uh-huh. I, I just am so nervous about having a phone next to my head. I try <laughs> to always talk on speakerphone. You do? Because... <laughs> Yeah, because I don't want to get a brain tumor next to my ear. <laughs> you know what? I tell you what, when I, that turns out to be true for the rest of us, you'll be the last one standing. Like, who's laughing now? Um, I've got a friend who does that with microwaves. And I'm like, come on. She's like, you're only saying that because it hasn't affected our generation yet until we're like in our 70s and I'll be alive. Uh, I'm like, okay, that's fair. Um, you know, I find. <laughs> My we, my family, we got an early microwave, uh-huh. you know, and it, it's when it just had like a, a grill. Totally. It wasn't even like a solid door oh and it came with a set of engraved dishes with the, the initial of your last name and a turkey. Are you being serious? Yeah, it was so new. And my family, <laughs> we put a Krispy Kreme donut in it and as a family sat and watched it. They didn't spin at the time and watched it bubble in about four seconds. And oh, I mean, that's how old I am. That's amazing. So we've covered that. Let me just say this. I'm so happy that you're here today. I, I really am. I just love you and I've loved you forever. And so I'm tickled. I'm tickled to talk to you today. So I have, um, I've obviously, I've told our listeners a little bit about you and about your story, obviously, which is so well known. But if you don't mind, if you wouldn't just indulge me, I'd love to go back just for a minute to your early years. You're just a girl playing a guitar, made a tape for her parents. A tape, young listeners, is something we used to do before we had the internet. Um, and then, of course, it got discovered by a music producer. I love your story. Can you talk just for a minute about what that was like to be so young? Uh, and then signed to a record deal in an industry that was still figuring its own self out of it. Right. Well, for one thing, imagine, you know, there's there was no audience. Right. Um, to anybody's experience, there was no social media. And so everything felt very uh, close proximity-wise, every experience. Mm. You, people only knew about it if you actually told them. That's right. With words in person. So Very all that to say, yeah, it was a totally different time. So it wasn't, there was zero ripple effect. None. Right. Zilch, zero. I was 15. I was writing songs. Um, uh, uh, one of our youth group leaders, he was taking a music class at Belmont College. It was a college mm-hmm. at the time. And he had some extra studio time. And he said, hey, I know you're writing songs. Do you want to use some of my studio time? to record your songs. Wow. And two of us went in, another songwriter and myself. And that was the tape that eventually this friend of mine was making copies of that tape in the studio where he had a job. Okay. And and a man walked in and heard it. And this guy that walked in, his name was Chris. He'd been on a few dates with one of my older sisters. And he said, <laughs> oh my gosh, I, Word Records is trying to launch a contemporary label. And they're trying to find 12 artists who do contemporary sounding Christian music. I don't even think they coined the phrase CCM. Right. 
And we, there was no category yet. There was no category. There was a lot. There was if there was anything happening, it was in Southern California, hmm. and um, and and then I went to a church that happened to be connected to a very hippie, um, like coffee shop. Okay. Um, hang on, my dog is barking. Oh, that's that, fine. Um, we'll hear your dog over the course of this conversation, and we will hear the train that is 200 yards from my house, and it's just fine. We're living real lives. Anywho, so, um, yeah, so that's, that's how it started. And then, you know, would I like to make a record? So I w- it was fall of my junior year, right before my 16th birthday. That's when I ridiculous. asked that, and trust me, I didn't tell anybody. You didn't? Oh, gosh, no. Fear of failure. I didn't yeah. tell any of my school friends. Oh my they knew I was working part-time at a studio. I never played anybody anything unless I was playing out. You know, I, I right. played for my friends at school. They would say, hey, we're having a double date dinner party. Will you come be background music? I mean, it was... <laughs> <laughs> oh my <Yeah>. god! <laughs> oh, I bet they tell that story to this day. Like one time when I was a junior, Amy Grant was our background music at our weird double date. That's probably like a lifetime story for those people. Also, I want to say that it's very indicative of the kind of human you are that you kept that under wraps. Let me tell you something. If I at 16 was offered a record deal Ain't nobody could have told me nothing. I would have been insufferable. I mean, absolutely insufferable. I would have made sure that I talked about that in every single conversation. And so I commend your restraint and your humility. Like I would have been the living worst if that would have been me. Well, but I think that that was more a reflection on how I felt about my own skill set. Wow. And then, so my first record came out spring break of my senior year. Oh, sheesh. Yeah. And then I did, you know, I gave a few copies to my friends at school and Uh um, it was, you know, it's just fun. It was just very community. I mean, I I went to sort of a small school. Yeah. So you're thinking at this point, I'm curious what you're thinking. Are you thinking this is, this is going to be my career? This is, this is my future? Well, what are you thinking as a 17 year old? Um, well, you know, I graduated from high school and then I went on a promotional tour, uh, a radio tour. We started in Southern California. My mother went with me. So I'm 17 at the time. This was the trip where, oh gosh, there was one bookstore that sold music in Southern California. And the manager there had said, we've got this huge event that's happening. We've sent out 1200 engraved invitations, a sound system, come and play, I show up, not one person comes to the bookstore, not one. I mean, even my mother said, this is awkward. I'm going to go down the strip mall and do a little shopping. Your mom abandoned you. you." I thought, how do you even stay in business? You have zero walk-up traffic. Oh, my goodness. And and another legendary story that happened around that time, right before, or uh, maybe a month before I was supposed to leave for college, Brown Bannister, who was the producer, got a phone call because, of course, I was not listed in the phone book. And Lakeside Amusement Park in Denver, Colorado, was trying to book a gig with contemporary Christian music artists. Okay. And so Brown feels the request. He calls me and he said, hey, Lakeside Amusement Park wants you to come and play on such and such night um, for $300. Okay. And there's this long silence. We've told this story so many times, and I said, God, Brown, I mean, I've saved up $500 just kind of for 
not living expenses, but entertainment for my uh-huh. freshman year. If I blow 300 bucks on one gig, like I'll have nothing left. <laughs> oh, gosh. <laughs> <laughs> that tells me how high so my amazing. I think I think they're going to pay you. I don't oh, think you have to pay gosh. them. <laughs> so outstanding. <laughs> yeah. Oh, love it. It's like such a it's just kind of a more innocent time. It's so much more scrappy and it's so different now. I mean, it's just a completely different world for young budding artists now, but it's just so cute. Thinking of you back there, just a girl singing her song with her tape in her hand. Um, and so kind of what happened next? Cause if you're not thinking this is going to be a career path for you and then it obviously became one, how did your, how did that road sort of meander into a much more serious space? Um, well, the deal with the record company was that we would just decide one record at a time if it was good for both of us, you know, mm-hmm. if I could handle going to school and making music and I played all summer long in different places. And, um, and, and then my senior year, um, of college mm-hmm. in the fall, I made my sixth record and, um, Two of those Gosh. were a live record, so it was really only my fourth studio record. But um, and I, it felt different. All of my friends, also my senior year, were um, interviewing for real jobs, you know. And all my free time was going for music, and I was going, "Oh my gosh, oh my gosh, I should get a real job." Okay. And so, but then that that record, yeah, that record came out in June or May or June of, I guess, May of 1982. Yeah. And it was uh, an album called Age to Age. Mm -hmm. And that album created enough interest. And then I was no longer in school. And so I went, I'm I'm actually going to tour. And so I hadn't graduated because I always only took 12 hours because I was always working. And my dad mm. had said, please, if you start an education, finish it. Mm. And so I went to my parents and said, I, I promise I will finish my degree, but I think, mm-hmm. I think I would rather work right now. And he said, okay. Hey, Daddy. So okay. You, can, you can imagine that is still hanging over me. I'm 58. Both my parents <laughs> passed. And I'm going, I still have 19 elective hours. I could take pity. Oh, my gosh. Is that nice? Dang it. No. Yes, so every year people will say, so what's on the docket this year? Do you have new music coming out? In the back of my mind, it's like, graduate from college. That's right. I swore. <laughs> I promised. <laughs> okay, I'm excited about that. I'm going to start looking up some course selections for you, and I'm really going to think through your, like, your docket and what's going to be interesting for you to finish your degree. Hey guys, Jen, jumping in for just a quick sec to talk about one of our new sponsors. Now, if you were like me, shopping for fashion can bring on a bit of dread. You know I'm telling the truth. Whether it's clothing or beauty products or accessories, it is a lot and I don't like it, which is why I literally love FabFitFun. FabFitFun, it allows women to discover new products with a seasonal subscription box. It's delivered four times a year with absolutely full size. And I say that because some of these subscription services are these little tiny mini um, sort of samples 
These are full size beauty, fashion, home, fitness, wellness products. And this is the craziest part. It's $49.99 a box. You just cannot even believe how much is in this. Every single box is guaranteed to have over $200 in retail value. It's like getting a surprise gift to yourself, like once a quarter. Um, in one shipment, I open up the boxes and I might get this fabulous new pair of sunglasses um, or a really awesome piece of jewelry or this delicious body scrub, which I just got. Um, in fact, the 2019 spring box has so many cool things. What a good way to discover um, new brands, new products, stuff you might not have tried otherwise. It's so cutely packaged. I mean, you will just be like happy clappy when it gets to your to your house. So use the promo code FTL to get $10 off your first box. So again, that is over $200 for only $39.99. So it's fabfitfun.com and use my code FTL to get $10 off your first box. All right, back to our show guys. I'm so curious. I just... I grew up um, in that era of of your music, and um, so for for me, I did not realize how how much you were pioneering. I didn't understand that at the time. It's just all of a sudden you were a gift to all of us, and um, at the time, I thought, well, this is lucky us. This is what music is like um, in the Christian world. It's not all terrible. Look at this amazing artist, and. Uh, I just, I'm so curious what it was like for you, specifically in the eighties to, to literally kind of be on the front edge of that entire genre. I mean, you were the, you didn't have precedence. You didn't have really people to look to, um, for any sort of modeling or, or even really know what to expect in the market. Like, was it clear at the time? Did you feel, did you feel like, man, we're out here doing something really new and really different. Did you feel alone? Did you feel excited? I just wonder what that, that decade was like for you. It was very exciting. My initial reaction to your, like, like pulling up the eighties was the incredible sense of community that I experienced and felt. And that started within our church, um, which is really the experience that whetted my appetite to want to sing. So I didn't grow up with gospel records. I didn't even, even when I was making contemporary Christian music, I didn't really own any contemporary Christian records. Mm. The music I grew up with was a lot of what was coming out of Southern California, but it was the singer-songwriter movement or the Beatles or, and so my reason for writing in the first place to write anything about faith which was not the only music I was writing, was because I wanted to augment my set list Mm -hmm. with songs that were about faith, because it's exciting, you know? And Mm -hmm. I I went to church, it was just on the edge of the projects, Mm -hmm. and I remember, I mean, it was just, you never knew what was going to happen at church. You never, Mm. and this was a church that my older sisters kind of discovered when they came back from being in college in Boston and eventually yeah. our whole family got there. But it was, I mean, people was, it was a bar kind of catty corner across from the church and people yeah. were in there hammered and shout stuff out. And <laughs> um, I remember one time I was in, at the door standing next to the pastor 
whose daughter was a dear friend of mine, and a woman came in, and I'm telling you, I was standing there, and she said, Preacher, I take my clothes off for a living. Can I come to church here? Wow. And he said, My dear, you give your heart to Jesus. He'll tell you what you can and can't do. Of course you are welcome. That's a great story. Yeah, but I think wild things were always happening. And there was a coffee shop, next, uh, coffee shop next door that had this music. So what happened was there were a lot of young music lovers that loved the creativity, the spiritual aliveness, the, a bit mm. of the chaos that was also part of that church. Yep. And so it just like close at hand w- were the people that became my managers, um, uh, Mike Bland, Dan Harrell. Brown Bannister, my producer, uh, Michael Michael W. Smith, yep. was going to church there. Who's a songwriter? Uh, Gary Chapman and I started dating and got wow, married. Gosh. He was going to church there. Everybody, and then also a lot of other great artists because they would play at the coffee shop. So like writing songs, everything was about the hang. Hmm. Everything was about the hang. It was not about the end result because you're right. We oh. were oblivious where this uh-huh. road went, yep. but the hang was. So making a record was all about the, hey, let's invite our friends. Let's invite, I want my family to come. Let's, yeah. You know, it was just, we felt so alive and so vibrant. Mm. And, and, and there weren't the clear lines, you know, even as far as promoters of shows or right. where, you did a, where you did a show or who you included. My mind was just kind of reeling. It was so much fun and a lot of hard work. I guess it looked like a machine, hmm. but it, we, had, we just all innocently found each other. And so, um, yeah, it was beautiful. It really was. That's such a good example to set. And I think we've lost a lot of that. Um, We've lost a lot of that sort of flexibility to be in meaningful relationships across ideologies and experiences. I feel like the Christian community is clamping down instead of opening their hands a little bit. I would have loved to have seen them follow your example back then, which you really lived out. I mean, you did because, of course, you had you crossed over. You had mainstream pop success, which was so exciting for us to watch because I can tell you as just a few years behind you and um, just a person who grew up with your music, it felt like, oh my gosh, she's one of us. She's one of us. She's on the main radio right now. And you were cool. And so it's like we had a person, we had somebody to look to in that big sort of wide space. It was so exciting to watch you be a hit maker alongside Madonna and all of the other people we were listening to. And you probably wrote all kinds of music all the time, but what was it like for you as you really steered your ship into sort of mainstream um, hit world? And was that a deliberate choice? Did you stumble upon that? What was that season like for you? Well, it happened in waves, you know? Um, So like starting in the mid eighties, I remember a really, um, earnest conversation with Dan Johnson, who was one of the um, one of the heads of Word Records, because I had signed a contract with Word, and they had a mission statement. And I remember it being kind of an emotional conversation. And I said, "I, you're giving me the opportunity to sing, but I, I, I feel compelled to broaden." I just can't only sing the good news. 
And I remember it being, and I said, first off, nobody's going to listen if you always have the answer. Plus, I don't have the answers. I mean, life is messy. And, you know, but I remember a very emotional conversation, not emotional for him, but I remember it being like, you know, teary and, you know, a ragged throat because my opportunity to make music came through that company. And I was at, and I was really honestly asking permission to deviate from their mission statement. Sure. And uh, <clears throat> anyway, and you know what he said? He mm-hmm. said, you know, Jesus spoke in parables and a lot of times nobody knew what he was talking about. Mm-hmm. He said, just write. That's great. Oh, that was so awesome. And I went, you know, okay. He just gave me permission. Sure. To, you know, to try, to fail, to do whatever. And, um, but it was, it was the freedom to try something different that created the, the, the impetus for word then to reach out to A&M records. And they said, we have an artist that's kind of doing some stuff here that doesn't just fit our business model. And we actually feel like might help if we shared the distribution of this product. And so, yeah. So when I was signed to A&M records, I actually did not sign the dotted line word, word records made a deal with A&M records. And then all of a sudden I, you know, um, I was part of, you know, business meetings and radio phone calls. And, you know, this was like, whoa, these people were, they were just a totally different world and so fascinating. I mean, it was just, it was, you know, bigger and bragging and strutting and, sure. you know, all this stuff that honestly just made me want to be myself as honestly as I could, because um, they were certainly wasting no time not being themselves. That had to be kind of refreshing. Sometimes in the Christian world, inside of it, it's all very, it's all very kind of polite and coded and restrained. And sometimes the there's a lot of spiritual words to cover up what you're really thinking, what you're really meaning. And so I bet it, there had to have been something. At, at least moderately refreshing about being in a room where everyone's just wheels off. Just, I can only imagine. It kind of probably felt a little free. Well, you know, first let me just say, you know, the whole CCM world was developing. Yeah. And so it didn't feel like whatever, however you would describe it now, peel hmm. 30 years off of that. That's a good point. 30 years. But I remember going on a, um, a work trip with a guy named Charlie Miner. He was from the South. He was a mover and a shaker. He was head of radio with A&M Records. And, you know, we're going to Boston. And, um, you know, I just go, man, he's got a girlfriend in every city. And I, and I'm trying to make friends. They would, like, take me to places. And <laughs> we want you to meet this person. And, yeah. I mean, on one hand, it was exhausting for me because I, I enjoy people. But I, I also haven't aside that I I have to have time to myself. Same. And so, you know, we would go to a dinner at a nice restaurant and I would, we would sit down with six people and then I'm hardly even noticing all of a sudden four of those people have gotten up, four new people are there. And then three others have gotten up. I had stepped into the promotion machine. Oh man. Where you don't even know the rules. 
you don't know the rules and yeah. it's constantly changing. I do think sometimes we we take our cues so much from each other that we start speaking the same language, we start mm-hmm. using all the same phrases. But my early musical, the first two decades of that for me, it was such a revolving door that I had to find my own language. I had to, um, or not, you know, I mean, I, I had times that I completely lost my rudder <laughs> mm, yeah. and, you know, just going, okay, I didn't like, I didn't really like how that turned out or I didn't like, I didn't like the the way it felt after I had this particular experience, but I just, I can't stress enough that we have all of our, our culture has morphed into something um, that is feeding our own worst nightmares about mm-hmm. ourselves. And, and what, and I believe that, that it's not the big dark world of the church. It's mm-hmm. not any of that. The, the, to me, the nightmare, and we all have to gauge how well we can navigate these waters because some mm-hmm. of us cannot navigate them at all, but it's the water of comparison. I know it's real. Because every one of us is designed to take up a unique place in the universe. Mm-hmm. Very unique. And I do think it's important to share our stories, but we, you know, you have to know, we each have to know how much can I give to non-one-on-one interaction? Because even how we process human nature is, you know, from a distance, we process in a very self-protecting way. Up close, that's why community is so important. Up close, we process with compassion, but from a distance. From a distance, we totally revert to animal mode. You can't help mm. it. It's yeah. like your brainstem kicks in. Mm. It happens at the at the finest black tie event, and you're looking at a woman across the room and go, boob job, yes or no? I mm. thought maybe. Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh, is that a new outfit? I mean, from a distance, we are so insecure and and um, all of us. That is human nature. That's right. But up close, up close that person that you're kind of intimidated by on the other side of the room Mm. or judging on the other side of the room or any of that, they come up close and start a conversation and you hear the tone of their voice or they start to talk about something Mm. and you hear the catch in their throat. And then suddenly it's a real person, but anything that's not voice to voice Mm. or face to face can fall into that I don't know what to call it except for it just it's like we are in animal mode. <laughs> mm. It's so true and it's it's so easy to do it now. I mean, we just have for as many gifts as social media has given us and continues to give us and some of that is real, the the capacity to at this point disappear um into a world that is while it says it's to connect us all, it actually promotes a ton of disconnection, as you've mentioned, and um, takes us right out of the real world. But you're right. There is something about real-life community, face-to-face, voice-to-voice, that is irreplaceable. It cannot be duplicated. Yeah. And plus, you know, real community, um, I mean, we we do things because we want to be involved in the community, like I want to be a part of a supper club or a a book club or, you know, we're wired for community, but you want to get real community happening, do anything that puts you in a little bit over your head and you mm. need somebody. That's good. And that can be like 
um, I mean, I laugh about this now, but I, we have Vince and I have two grandkids. They're his daughter Jenny's kids. Yeah. Um, overcommit. I mean, commit to take care of your grandkids beyond <laughs> your energy level. Yeah. Or, mm. or plant a big garden. Or, mm. I mean, you want to experience real community. Get in a little past where you can touch That's and great. start swimming. And you will be amazed who you will accept help from. Mm, yeah, <laughs> like totally. Anybody. anybody. Oh. So that, that's also part of the adventure. Yeah. And so, you know, because need connects us like nothing else. That's why you mm. can walk in the front door of St. Jude mm. Hospital and there's immediate community because those people, everyone has yeah. a need. That's right. There. Everybody's child is fighting for their life. You know, mm. all the walls are down. Nobody's wasting energy on. That's uh, a great point. Things beyond what's, yeah. The, what what's matters, what's right? real, what's going to last. That's such a great yeah. example. Anybody yeah. who's ever weathered either a crisis or a challenge um, yeah. with their people knows that what you're saying is absolutely true. All this other stuff just sort of uh, recedes. Um, and that, that takes precedence. Yeah. Yeah. Can I can I give you um, this is a specific of uh, an experience that found me. Uh, okay. A, a lot of a lot of things find me, but it has been a game changer, and this has just been since January. Okay. So December is a really busy month for our family, and Vince yeah. and I this last year had a, a residency. They call that at a um, the Ryman Auditorium, mm-hmm. but it's just busy, you know. Totally. So Christmas cards would come in. And I just stashed all my Christmas cards. I thought, I want, look, if people are actually sending Christmas cards, I want to open Christmas cards. And so I waited. I waited until after 2019 had started. Okay. And I thought, I think I'm going to wait until, I think I'm going to wait until one night when I'm the only one in the house. And I'm going to read the newsletters. I'm going to light a candle. I'm going to fix a cup of hot tea. I'm just going to make an event out of opening my Christmas cards. It's cute. This only happens because four of our five kids are fully grown and yes. live on their own. This never Please tell me, happened. tell me about your life. That that is a yeah. future that yeah. I will get to have someday. Yeah, yeah, but I, you know, I couldn't have done that at a different chapter. So yeah. the night comes. It's a Friday night. Vince is singing the Opry at the Opry. Karina has got plans with friends, and I thought I almost watched a TV show, and I thought. When am I going to have this chance? So I made the choice to light a candle, put on the tea kettle. And as I was walking toward this basket, I don't even know why, but I was reminded of this story that my friend Cindy Hudson told me about this man of prayer. And I believe this happened in Hawaii. Okay. But he was asked by um, like a mental health slash um, – legal, uh, what do you call it? Like a, like a, a mental health prison. Oh, okay. Sure. He was invited, asked to come pray for the inmates at this facility. Mm-hmm. Um, and he said, let me think about it. And finally he said, yes. Um, and you know, Jen, for all I know, this is an urban legend, Okay. but this was the story told to me. All right. And, and so he said, yes, he would come and pray for them. But he said, I'll come and I'll stay until the job there is done. I don't want to ever meet any of the inmates. But if you will find me an empty room, I will stay. And he actually stayed for over two years. 
Wow. And he would request that they bring a file in of an inmate, and he would read all of the things that were a part of that person's life, and he would allow all of his natural inclinations to come up toward that person, repulsion, fear, judgment, all that stuff. And he would pray for that inmate until he had cleared himself of everything so that compassion could flow through him. to Gosh, the inmate. I have goosebumps. I know, crazy, huh? Yeah. Well, the end of the story is everyone from that facility was rehabilitated and they shut the facility down. That's crazy. So I sit down with my Christmas card, and before I opened them, I thought, why in the world did I just think about that man in the clearing prayer? That's so mm-hmm. weird. And then, and I thought, hey, I think I'm going to pray for each one of these families. But then as I started to open the first card, I went, God, I think what I need to pray for, I need to be, I need to let every negative thing in me surface. Hmm. And I need to clear that. Wow, gosh. And so that what I feel for this person whose card I'm reading is only compassion. Mm. And it could be uh, some snarky comment about their outfit, or Mm. I used to be in their inner circle before I went through a divorce. Mm. Mm. Gee, I wish I was still included in the party. Mm. Whatever. But the cool thing was everything that came up, as it came up, I said it out loud. I went, God, you see it and I see it. And I know you forgive me and I forgive myself. And I, I let that go. I clear that. And the next, and I did, I I got through all the cards and it's funny because one of the cards had a member of my family, which is huge or 55 of us from my sisters and me down. And I didn't even, I wasn't even aware that I needed some clearing, but the next time I saw that person, I felt a different flow of energy. Wow. And after opening my Christmas cards, I went, life is too short to live with whatever channel we are meant to be, where it completely inefficient if that is clogged. And so the idea even of, of praying for people, this is not going, oh, I'm so great, I'm praying for all these people. It's going, no, God, really praying for somebody is allowing your own wickedness to surface. And then you pray that away. And this has been like, I, every day I just go, oh my gosh, this is such an adventure. And I'm telling you, sometimes I'm too exhausted. I don't, sometimes I don't want to sit down and pray for somebody because I know really the reality is, oh my gosh, okay, I've got to let all my negativity surface. And we like to, we like to pet our negativity. (laughs) Totally. I nurture it like a family member, I feed it and give it water. <laughs> yes. Make sure it's alive and well. Yes. I've got this old friend. His name is Jimmy Gentry. He's a World War II veteran. He was a foot soldier at 17 when they walked for days into the concentration camp. Um, it was either Dachau or Auschwitz. They could smell it from miles away, but he was part of the Liberation Army. One day he was saying, he was telling me stories of World War II, and he said, Amy, you know the most important word, the single most important word is you live your life. Mm. You know it, don't you? And I said, he said, it affects how you see everything and everybody. And I said, um, love? Mm-hmm. Nope. And he's shaking that big head and those big ears. Mm-hmm. God? Nope. Mm-hmm. 
keeps shaking up. You know, I just want to do the right. I want to say sure. the right thing. I want to impress Jimmy Gentry. Of course. I could not guess it. And I said, <laughs> tell me, Jimmy. And he held up his thumb like a one answer. And he said, we, we, if you will start to see the world as we, it will change the way you live. Wow. Golly. I know. Mm. I know. Yeah. So, you know, you, you get stuff like that stirring in the pot for 30 years and it does, it, things start morphing. That's the beauty of getting older. Um, I love that story. Hey everyone, Jen breaking in with a quick message about our new sponsor, allmodern.com. So All Modern is an online-only destination for literally amazing furniture. Um, they offer modern styles from mid-century to Scandinavian to minimalist, and it's super simple. So you shop from home or on the go, wherever you are. Find the sofa that you saw and loved on Instagram, but for way, way less, and get it fast. All their furniture ships free, and most in just two days, you guys, like not six to eight weeks, like most furniture places I've shopped. And this is the best part. All Modern offers in-room delivery and assembly. <laughs> so if you've ever attempted to like follow the 97 steps to assembling a chair from the directions you get, that's like reason enough to raise your hands to the heavens and take advantage of this offer. So you are gonna love their styles, their prices, and definitely how quick they deliver. So just for our listeners, you can get 10% off your first purchase at allmodern.com by using the promo code for the love. So that's promo code for the love at allmodern.com. All right, let's get back to our show. I love hearing you talk about this because I know that you are telling the truth. I know that this is real for you because we all watched you um, weather quite a bit of public storms and we watched you sit in the middle of a great deal of criticism and critique and uh, sort of this lonely moment. I mean, it, and there was more than one reason. I mean, you, you took a lot of criticism um, for singing mainstream music. So the Christian community just clutched their pearls at that and freaked out. Some of them did. Um, and then, of course, you mentioned a minute ago, you you sort of experienced a lot of rejection and critique, too, after your divorce from Gary. And, um, and, and that was all done in the public eye, which is so weird because none of us are geared for that. You know, that's just we're not meant for that. So it's this very bizarre world where um, people who have some notoriety have to endure the normal bumps and bobbles of life, but in the most weird way possible with all these watching eyes. And, um, but you did it with a enormous amount of grace and kindness. And I found you at every moment. And of course we were all watching this. I found you gentle in every single moment and and quick to forgive and slow to speak and all the things that the Bible tells us to do in order to like live a healthy life. 
And I just, I wonder if you could talk about that for a minute, about those seasons of public criticism and frankly, rejection, um, and, and what that was like to walk it at the time, who were your mentors, who was, who was teaching you how to handle that with such dignity and with such grace, because it was really a wonder to watch. And of course, now you are this person who is so incredibly kind. I mean, I see the fruit of it in your life. Um, I see like this was real for you. You really, really took these practices into your heart and soul and mind. And so could you just, what would you teach us um, about that season and what you learned and what you practiced and what you know now? Well, first off, I would say the the dark tunnel going into a divorce, relaunching your life, coming out of that tunnel, that was about a 10-year tunnel for me. Wow. And all kinds of behavior happened in the in. <laughs> In, in the tunnel. tunnel. Yep. I, many of not my finest moments. Um, but I would say uh, just on a very surface level, I didn't pursue information about myself or about anybody else beyond the people that were directly affected by that divorce decision. Oh, that's it was so wise. Well, I just, it was all I could do to navigate. We had three young children. I mean, yeah. our kids were six, nine, and 11 when we filed right. for divorce. Yeah. And so, you know, and and at the time, you know, I, as I told Gary after we had gone through the divorce, you know, either there was no value left to our marriage or I, or I had lost my ability to value it. Mm-hmm. I mean the crash of what happened in a life and especially, and, and ours honestly had a lot to do with all the success that had happened. Sure. You know, we, it was just too much. I can only imagine too much opportunity, too much time Mm -hmm. apart, too much Mm -hmm. competition between the two of us, too much, too much. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it's, it, it really helped me. It's funny now, when I see things firing on all pistons for somebody, my my feeling is, woo, buckle in, and you might crash anyway. Wow, yeah. I didn't discover the writings of Julian of Norwich until mm. after that 10-year tunnel, but mm-hmm. I did have a friend come to me at one point in the, in the year's just immediately after the divorce when I was, you know, I was just drinking and eating guilt every day. Mm -hmm. And she said, why don't you trust that every hard lesson coming to your children and to you and to your family and to Gary, Mm. why don't you trust that all of these hard things are bringing about a very unique toolkit that will be essential to each one of your children for the adventure of their life. Wow. And, yeah. And, um, and you know, what was interesting to me about that, because that friend at the, at the time was not a churchgoer. Mm-hmm. Not not a Bible reader, um, but was just very intuitive about life. And I thought, you know, I mean, it wouldn't take too far of a stretch to put that in the context of all things work together for good. Yeah. 
And then simultaneously, I think the people right around me knew that I was such a wreck. Like, why add insult to injury? Like, it's funny. Years later, I was invited to... Um, I had had a song called Better Than a Hallelujah come out. I was invited to go do this thing in Minneapolis. I was seated at a table with the head of the record company. I mean, excuse me, radio station, big radio station in Minneapolis. We had a great conversation. I hadn't seen him in a long time. After the dinner, I stopped talking to my manager, and she said, I never told you this, but they quit playing your songs for 10 years. Wow. God. And I said, and she just protected mm. me from that yeah. information. She said, what is the point? You can't. Yes. And you know what? Then I sat at that dinner. I don't live in Minneapolis. I didn't know I wasn't on the radio. Sure. I but it, that enabled me to be at that dinner and not, um, I mean, that, that was just, to me, the kindness and compassion of yes. my friend, who's also my manager. Right. You know, this is hard enough for her anyway. I'm not going to mm. tell her about this citywide rejection. <laughs> mm. And I didn't, it was my natural inclination to not pursue that. Like if I yes. would see something written about me, I would not read it. Um, Gosh, that was so mature. To me, it was like scratching poison ivy. It just totally. makes it worse. You know, and you already just feel like such a loser when you're mm. in a failure cycle. Mm. I mean, talk about holding a secret. Ten mm. years. Wow. And there were other, I'm sure there were conversations. And But it was so funny because then we laughed about it and she said, did you notice you went like from playing arenas in Minneapolis to nothing like cricket. Like we need to book you there, but you can't do a show if you don't have the support of the cricket. And I went, well, you know, I guess I was singing other places. I didn't really now know. Now that you it. say it, right. <laughs> Hadn't been to the Twin Cities in a decade. Yes. But I'm going to tell you, it's funny. Information is power. Mm. And, and, and it's, but if that, if that power is handled respectfully, and sometimes that means not, like, you handle it the most respectfully by being silent about it. That's good. And, and then later, after it's played out, whatever that dynamic is, because everything plays out. Sure. I think about that every time somebody says. It's true. You know, can I tell you something in confidence? Mm -hmm. And I'm, I mean, you have to be a good friend to yourself to just let that, whatever you're told, you tell yeah. yourself, you tell yourself, you know, uh -huh. I, I, I laugh with, Jennifer, my manager, and I said, my eternal self will laugh about it with my temporal yes. self, and we'll go right. back and forth. But you have to appreciate your own company enough mm. to be able to hold someone's secret. That's right. That's true. Good point. Yeah. But then years later, if you do hold it, it's so good, you know, and then they can tell their story and... You know, I mean, all those just lessons in delayed gratification are you learn those the hard way by not keeping a secret. <laughs> You're so right. You know? I it because it all plays out just like you mentioned. It does, and and even the the just whatever feels absolutely white hot. It feels like this will never cool down. This will never burn out. Um, this is going to be like a crisis forever. Even that thing, it's not. It won't it will cool down, it will burn out. And I learned that too. I mean, I, I was, I found myself too kind of in the middle of a white hot um, outrage cycle. 
And I had enough good counselors in my life to say, um, what you're going to want to do is behave and respond in such a way right now that you are going to be proud of 10 years from now, um, that you're going to look back and say, I, I did that well. And, um, and for me, that looked like a lot of silence, as you just alluded to, that looked like I'm saying nothing. And it looked like not defending myself and um, not replying and not jumping in the fray and not getting into all the arguments. And so, and it's true. I mean, I'm not, I haven't hit anywhere near the 10 year mark. And I still feel like I look back with no regrets that it, it felt like everything was unraveling, except it wasn't. That's also a lie that our brain in crisis tells us that this, this will never be good again. There is no possible path to recovery the, the tremors will go on forever. And yet it's not true. I've rarely regretted grace. I, I've just rarely regretted um, caution or restraint. And, and I think I, I've, I've watched you do that well. And, and it's, it's true because here you are, like you're on top of the world. You've got the most beautiful family and so much like uh, just this gorgeous life. And your career is still like so wonderful and strong and and it, the tunnel the tunnel 10 years is a long time but you emerged um and i think you did it with your dignity intact that's worth something really worth something well thank you and also i will say you know that energy has to go somewhere mm -hmm. i'm a firm believer if you can be alone whether it's your car or a closet but screaming at the top of your lungs is really a great, like you can't believe how much energy that can disperse. But just like screaming, 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 like really scream till you're losing your voice. That's great. And then it's like, okay, whew. I mean, we got through that. It's true. There's some really easy levers to pull to re uh -huh. to kind of release the pressure valve a little bit. It's that's you're right. It's possible. I I had a practice in sort of my white hot season 2 where I had just a couple of friends and they were as you mentioned earlier in real life friends and we kind of just had this ongoing agreement in that season and I said I just I, when I need you to come over sometimes, I need you just to sit in front of me and I'm going to just say a thousand things. I probably only mean half of them, <laughs> but I'm just going to say it. It's it's everything yeah. in my brain. It's all my feelings. It's my rage. It's all my plans for vengeance. I mean, it was just incredibly dramatic. Um, but I said, just know that I, I don't really mean it all, but I need the words to come out of my mouth. I just, I need to purge them and you don't need to fix it or like talk me out of it or any of it. Just, if you can just listen like human ears. Um, so I know that those words have like gone out and been absorbed somewhere. And it was unbelievably helpful um, just to say some of it and realize how much most of it was absurd. Um, and the rest of it just needed to be heard. I just, and that was enough. That was enough to do it for me. Like somebody, these people love me and they've heard me. And that weirdly feels like enough at this moment, even if the whole rest of the world didn't get to hear it or defend me. Um, I would love for you just to talk. I know I, we're almost out of time here, but um, if you could just talk a little bit about your family right now, because you're in such a great season. You're one click ahead of me. You've got grown kids, almost. You've got one left at home, right? She's senior. Yeah. Yeah. She was senior. Yep. This is it. You're it. This is the finish line right in front of you. It's so crazy. Um, like if you could just talk about this season a little bit, what it's like. Okay. Yeah, I do. I can, I can hear the music of chariots of fire playing. Dimly <laughs> <in the background. laughs> 
<laughs> well, life is made up of a lot of cycles. And the cycle is basically you have a dream, you invest in that dream, the dream comes to fruition, and then it's over and you mm-hmm. grieve. I mean, that happens. That to me is the cycle of life. And so, and, and there are always a whole bunch of those cycles happening at one time. Mm-hmm. You know, this year, um, uh, I have um, two weddings and a graduation. Gosh. Two brides. Oh my gosh. Um, I know, but all of my kids have moved back to Na- the Nashville area. Um, and they are all, uh, they are so unique from each other. So Jenny is in her mid thirties. Matt is early thirties. Millie and Sarah are both in their late twenties. Karina okay. is almost 18. So things that I have started doing in the last few years is if I haven't seen my kids in a while, I will just send out the message, hey, we're going to have Monday night steak out. Uh-huh. I, will, I will cook big meals, like really good stuff. Okay. Um, and I'll say, come or come pick up a to-go bag. Okay. And, but I, so right now I try to create opportunities That's for good. us to spend time together. Yeah. Um, and then the other thing is, I do a lot of silent prayer for my kids because I don't know what's going on in their lives. Not really. Mm. You know, I I wasn't telling my mom the nitty gritty, but what I will do sometimes is I will just stand in a quiet place and I'll put my palms face up Mm -hmm. and I'll just picture my children. I'll picture their faces. I'll picture their significant others. I might just whatever. I don't even, I don't even know how to put words to it because I don't know mm-hmm. what they're going through in a day, but anything, I just picture them and I'll just pray the phrase, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was mm-hmm. and is and is to come. To me, this is the freest kind of prayer because I know I'm not slowed down by my words. That's good. And, um, and it feels, makes me feel incredibly connected to whatever they're doing, especially when I'm feeling out of touch with my kids. Um, I don't, rather than go, oh my gosh, I'm not in touch with my kids, or they don't care about my input, or whatever, wham, 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 thing, I just go, nothing is stopping you from empowering them in a substantial way, um, spiritually. And it's gotten to the point, you know, that I, I really see this as the bigger work, and, and Mm-hmm. Um, of course, they make choices at every turn that are not the choices that I would have made. Right. And I'm from a different generation, and mm-hmm. and and all of their choices are different. But it's, um, you know, that's freeing too. But I will tell you, I had that impulse. The first time I really felt the power of that was um, on a celebration trip that Vince took me on my 50th birthday. Okay. And I was on the other side of the ocean. And I felt so far away from my children. The moon was just coming up. I was on a hillside. I was by myself. And I just said, am I really this far away? Is there a way that I could feel connected to my children forever, even from here? Is it possible? And it was the first time I ever felt led to just turn my palms up and pray and pray for them just with pictures you going to make it when that kid goes to college? Do you feel good? You've done this a lot of times. You're, you're no, you're not a novice. 
No, this is the only child that um, I did not, that I didn't parent through middle school and high school, not in the wake of incredible guilt. So this has been, it's been unique, um, you know, for better or for worse, uh, she probably had the healthiest version of a mother, um, but everybody else um, just got what they got. Yeah, totally. Look, folks, this is it. We're your parents. I'm sorry. This is as good as it gets, really, at this point. Yeah. (laughs) My oldest is 20. um, And then I have a freshman in college, too. She's 18. And it's just, it's, I keep looking around like, does somebody think I can handle this? Does somebody know that I know what I'm doing here? Um, You know, what are the rules? I have no idea. But it is an adventure. It is an adventure. And I hope I'm talking like you are in a few years. Like, able to sort out how to stay connected and how to stay present, how to give advice, how to sometimes not give advice. I just, please keep talking about parenting adults because there's so many of us who are like, who will help us? Who will help us get through this weirdness? Okay, listen, I'm going to ask you three very quick questions. We are asking every guest in the music series, these questions um, and just whatever, like top of your head. So when you're like, when you are down, when you need a pick me up, who do you put on your record player? What artist? Uh, Kebmo, Bonnie Raitt, Reese Franklin. Oh yeah, that's so good. That's a that's a no fail answer right there. Okay, how mm-hmm. about this one? Do you still have a musical bucket item on your list? Anything? A venue, a collaborator, a partner? Anything that you haven't done musically that you'd still love to do? I would like to write. Um, with a few people whose music I've admired and I'm not even sure how to, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure how to get there, but yeah. We want to know who that is. Put it into the world and let's see what we can make happen. Oh yeah. I love that. I love that. Put it into the world. Who do you Uh, love? Like who, who, who are the people that you're like watching going? I'd love to collaborate with you. I'd love to collaborate songwriting with James Taylor. Oh, and and also with Natalie Hemby. Okay. So I, yeah, I've known uh, I've known both of them for a long time, but it's it's different to invite yourself into someone's creative world, especially when you're already very successful. I mean, like sure. they are both very successful. Yeah. And so you don't want to like glom on to somebody. Mm. And so I, I probably would yeah. wait to be asked. Honestly. Well, I do want to tell you something that it appears that you don't know. I would like you to know that you are very successful. That might come as a surprise to you. But <laughs> these are actually your peers. So this is not oh. a weird ask. Um, they'd probably fall over. So um, we as America demand these partnerships. And so I'm just I'm signing my name at the bottom of this request And I can't wait to see if those both materialize. Okay, here's the last one. This is a question we ask every guest, every series. It's from Barbara Brown Taylor, one of her books, and I love her so much. And so this is, this can be your answer however you want it to be. It can be a really serious thing. It can be really silly. It can be really huge. It can be really tiny. So whatever you want it to be. Uh, But her question is, what is saving your life right now? What is saving my life mm-hmm. right now? Oh my gosh! Oh, I know. Um, the, um, I mean, I'm thinking several things at one time. The first thing that came to my mind was um, creativity on all levels. Oh, that's good. Creativity saves my life every day, and yeah. it can be 
um, what's the latest adventure at our farm? How are those dots connecting? That's a whole other story that is my happy place. Yeah. Um, what, uh, you know, Karina walks in and says, what's for dinner? And I'm, I forgot it was dinner time. And then like the chaos of going, oh, hang on two seconds. I'll tell you. And then I throw an onion in the skillet with some olive oil and it smells great. And she goes, oh, that's fantastic. And I'm, I'm like, I'm trying to think of something. <laughs> um, and then the other thing is, right. um, uh, two other things. Can I say two other things? Oh, please. Uh, one is the steady, constant affirmation I get from my husband, Vince. That's very dear. Um, he is, um, his first language is music. And so that is, you know, he doesn't necessarily want to get down and dirty talking through the details of everything like I do. I mean, I kind of see the glaze go over his eyes. (laughs) Sure. So I find other people to talk through all the details with, but he is very, um, he's constantly encouraging. I'm getting ready to not see him for a month because Mm -hmm. of his tour and being overseas. And I just, the absence of his presence, I will feel every day. Oh, and the other thing is, in 2019, I um, am reading, I I have not managed to do it every day, okay. but I'm trying to do it most days, of just reading the red words. Okay. And Ooh, part, my favorites. Just red words. And um, mm-hmm. and sometimes you don't, you don't even get context for the stories, but only mm. the red words. I mean, yes, I believe the Bible is inspired, but people are messy. Even the apostles are messy. Totally. Prophets, everybody's messy. And so do I trust human nature? No, but neither did Jesus. And so I'm mm. just bypassing all of the primarily. I love that. What a great practice. I mean, that's the one guy we can count on. <laughs> like, that's the, those are the words we can hang our hat on for sure. Um, and so what a wonderful, like, 2019 resolution. That's fabulous. Um, uh, so I just want to tell you, thank you for a thousand things. Thank you for who you have been to us for a really long time and how much your work, your music, your creativity, but also your life has mattered to so many of us. I mean, I just, you couldn't possibly ever know the scope of it. And, um, you gave us a lot of language around, God and faith and ourselves and life and relationships when we needed it. And it just kind of sang our, you sang us through. Um, and so, and I thank you for the way that you've lived your life with such integrity and such honesty. It's just, it's hopeful to me. It's, it's a, it's a relief and it's a joy to watch and to see and to witness, um, to see such a long-term life of faithfulness and recovery and mending and healing and then joy and laughter. And it's just wonderful. You're just so important to so many of us. And so thank you for being who you are. Thanks for coming on the show today too, because you are very, very beloved in my community. So everyone's going to go bonkers. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thanks for the gift of all those kind words. You're welcome. I'm glad we're alive at the same time. Me too. That was just cute and fun, right? Right. Uh, I loved that interview. I love her. I loved all those stories. 
Oh, that was so great. What I want you to know is I normally have my um, podcast interviews pretty charted out. Like we do, you know, my team, Laura, my producer and her team, we do a lot of research on all of our guests and we're really careful about the questions that we pick. This one, we just went all over the place. I, I've sort of I, I asked a couple of questions I had planned, but then we just, it just, we just, the train just went wherever it wanted to go. And I am so happy that it did because I enjoyed that conversation so much. And I hope that you did too. Um, Amy Grant's just a kind of a treasure to, to me for sure. And I know to so many of us. And so this music series is just bomb. It's, I just love it to me. It's so fun. It's so fun. This is such a fun job. I'm lucky. Um, thanks for tuning in. We've got more, more to come that you're really going to enjoy. I promise. Um, and thanks for listening. Thanks for your great ideas and your feedback. Thank you for subscribing. That's so good for podcasts. If you haven't done it, just pop over and give a quick subscribe wherever you listen. Um, that's just fabulous for us. And it just, this podcast will just show up in your phone. All you have to do zero work week in and week out and it just archives it for you. So it's so um, easy to manage. Also, you guys, thanks for sharing our podcast. Anytime you like one, just send it around your socials. Like guys, you're going to enjoy this one. Um, that's so fabulous. And we appreciate that so much. You guys have brought us a lot of new listeners. Um, and so you're just the best podcast community ever. So on behalf of Laura and crew and Amanda and I, we are just so delighted to bring you this show week in and week out. And we just work so hard on it because it's a joy for us. And we love bringing you some of the most amazing and interesting and fascinating people we can find. Thanks for tuning in you guys and see you next week. That's it for today's show. Hope you enjoyed this chat. Be sure to subscribe to my mom's podcast and give it a thumbs up rating if you like it. From the whole Hatmaker family, I hope you have a great week and see you next time.